This is the fourth sermon in a series on the Apostles' Creed. And today I will begin to deal with the second paragraph of the Creed. And if you want to follow along, uh, in addition to the scriptures, the Creed, of course, is found on page 845. And you'll notice that there are three paragraphs in the Creed. There are uh, laid out for you there, uh, or the Creed is laid out for you there in a, in a um, three-part division. The first part has to do with the Father, and I preached three sermons on uh, the uh, first paragraph. The second paragraph is given over wholly uh, to the person of Jesus Christ. And of course, the third paragraph, you might say, is given over, uh, as we shall see, entirely to the work of the Holy Spirit. But the second paragraph is uh, devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. The entire creed is structured in a Trinitarian way. It lays out a progressive revelation of God as well, that God reveals himself uh, in the Old Testament as the Almighty One and Father in the New Testament, particularly as Father in, of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, particularly from Pentecost on, the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. So we come to the second paragraph, and I want particularly to look at the phrase, I believe in Jesus Christ. My text, which I have turned to, is uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. I could have chosen almost any text in the New Testament of the great text to preach from today. But this is a chapter that focuses on the person of Jesus Christ and the love of God that has been revealed through him. It is a chapter then that, that uh, focuses upon Christ as he was the son living in our midst. I believe in Jesus Christ says the creed. What are Christians confessing when they say that they believe in Jesus Christ? Well, I believe that Christians confess many things. And sometimes they may focus in their minds upon one thing, depending on your circumstance and state in life. If you are struggling with a matter in your life, you may esteem Jesus uh, as to his uh, role as the great physician. And we often call upon the Lord, the great physician, to be in our midst and to manifest himself in our lives. You may have a difficult decision to make. And here you call upon Christ, who is our wisdom, says the scripture. Or you may esteem Jesus Christ for the peace he can give. Troubled souls are people who, by nature, are somewhat unsettled, uh, pretty much are going to focus upon the peace that Christ gives to his disciples. You may focus upon the fellowship that we can have with God through Christ. You may 
be a person who particularly needs the fellowship of the saints and the, the fellowship of Christ. For you feel yourself strengthened and encouraged when people come around you, such as the time of death or a time of a crisis in your life in particular. So all of these things, Christ Jesus is. But the good thing about focusing upon the creed and preaching upon Jesus Christ, that it tries to keep all of this together. We, we tend to isolate one facet of who Jesus was, and uh, we focus upon that. And that's all right. Uh, no criticism from me. Because at different stages and times in our life, we may appreciate an aspect of Christ uh, more than we would another. But on the other hand, it's also up to the teaching uh, of the church that has Scripture, the entire Scripture as its basis, to keep before you, if you will, the whole Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what uh, I'm trying to do in this series. And this paragraph really does that. Notice how uh, in some ways, even though it is short, it's quite exhaustive. It talks about his birth. It talks about the time in history in which he lived. Uh, it talks about his death and what that death is, even descending into hell, which we will look at later, a puzzling uh, a phrase for many people. And we will talk about his ascension at the right hand of the Father. And we'll also talk about his coming again to judge the worlds. So Christ has more than just a role as healer or as uh, one who is the love of God, though it's hard to, to think that anything could be added to Jesus as love. Nonetheless, we focus upon all of what that means in particular. Now today, then, we are focusing upon the one phrase, I believe in Jesus Christ. That is our focus. We believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, some years ago, a uh, former Jesuit priest, Jack Miles, wrote a book. It was a bestseller for a long time. And I looked up uh, this morning very early uh, some of the reviews of that book because honestly, I didn't read it. I didn't have any interest in read it, reading it. I still don't. But I just wanted to see how it was received since it was on the New York Times bestseller list. And Jack Miles wrote a book and it was entitled The History of God. Uh, Miles wrote this book and uh, I have, maybe I sold myself a little short, I have looked through enough to know what the content is. But I wasn't very much enamored with that kind of approach. He wrote a history of God. What did he end up writing? He ended up writing about the faith of Israel. That's about all he could do. He did talk about the mighty acts of God, but remember that God does not dwell in space and time. And history has to do with space and time. You can't have a history unless you're subject to space and time. God, in a sense, is outside of history. And if the theologians are right, particularly C.S. Lewis and St. Augustine, there is no time in God. 
the, the, he is, if you will, the eternal now, past, present, and future are all one in God. He beholds everything immediately. Not mediatedly, but immediately. Therefore, in one sense, you can only record or have a history of the faith of Israel. You might see the effects of God like Moses did when he saw, quote, in the King James, his hind parts, which means his effects. But again, you are recording effects. You, you know nothing about God except what you might possibly infer from the faith of Israel. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a history. When we say we believe in Jesus Christ, we are actually talking about God coming in human history, in space and time, sharing our flesh and our blood, eating our food, going to our weddings, going to our funerals. We're talking about one, in fact, who shares our history. It wasn't a long history, to be sure. He died as a pretty young man. Pretty, what, 33 maybe. And so he, in one sense, was only in his manhood from the Jewish standpoint for about three years. Nonetheless, he shared his history with us. And the Gospels record what he was like, what he did, what he taught. People could go up to him and touch him, and they did. People could look to him and have a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. And when we say we believe in Jesus Christ, what you find is that he is the visible expression of the love of God. That's what John is talking about in this passage in 1 John chapter 4. He has visibly set forth the love of God. And his love was manifest particularly in his cross when he gave himself for us. Look at the text. It also says in that text that no one has seen God at any time, but we can behold and see Jesus. Now you've heard me say, but let me put it in this context in this way. All that we really know about God is in the person of Jesus Christ because he has historically made himself known to us in his son. That's why the church and that's why individual Christians confess, I believe in Jesus Christ because we believe that he is indeed the fullness of the Godhead bodily that, that we can know something of the will and purpose of God for our lives. There is no other way. How are you going to find out whether God loves you or cares for you or that he wants to give you his peace or that he will forgive you of your sins? You're going to know that particularly in the person of Jesus Christ. When Paul talks about the knowledge of God in Romans 1, he says, yes, you can know something about God through his effects in nature, but that can send a mixed signal. It's not a clear signal because not only... Is the heart crop and the harvest abundant in one season, but at the next season it may not produce anything? Not only is the wind good and great, if you will, or the rain that falls and could be a blessing to us, but it also 
can flood valleys and it can take lives. You see, the effects of God in nature, if you will, are not so certainly understood. The reason that we believe that we understand something of these effects even more than we would if we didn't have Christ is but through Christ. But to make it clear and plain to everyone, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us and to reveal the love and forgiveness of God. That's what John is talking about. Jesus was the very visible expression of the love of God walking on the face of the earth. And because you are identified with him, you too have had the love of God poured out in your heart and life through fellowship with him. So when we say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are confessing, yes, that God has come in Jesus Christ to share our history so that we might know him. Christianity is uniquely a historical religion. Christianity entirely depends upon the person of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not the Son of God who was raised from the dead, then obviously, as the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 15, your faith is in vain. You almost have grasped an illusion. Your life does not have the significance that you think it does. Apart from the person of Jesus Christ and God's will in him, you simply are a cosmic, if you will, accident without any real purpose in a sense because he is the summation of all the scriptures and all the promises of God. We know from reading back in the Old Testament, for instance, that everything there pointed to him and we know from the New Testament, his fulfillment, everything points back to him. And if he did not rise, neither our Old Testament or New Testament really tell us much about God at all. For we read the scriptures through him. And it is through him that we have the forgiveness of sins. You see, it's because Jesus became a person that we can have the knowledge of God. We can understand these things in our lives. Christianity uniquely depends upon the person of Jesus Christ. You really don't have Christianity without Christ, without the incarnation, without this history. Let me illustrate this way. Buddhism absolutely does not depend upon the Buddha. In fact, he was not the first Buddha who ever came into, if you will, manifest himself in human life. He's one in a long line, according to Buddhist thinking, of Buddhists. Even Jesus Christ is a Buddha. It's not important as to the person at all. The Buddha was the enlightened one who was just simply pointing people to a certain way. Buddhism is really a therapy. It has eight steps, like a 12-step program. And if you follow those eight steps, you eventually will be cured of the illness or the illusion that you have of the external world. And ultimately, Buddhism leads to nirvana, which is like somewhat Christians talk about eternal death. Yeah, you can't suffer if you're dead. So it works in that sense. But there is no eternal life. 
And this teaching has nothing to do necessarily with the Buddha. He just happened to give it at one point and one time. Hinduism doesn't even have a founder. We don't know who the founders are of Hinduism. Some unnamed seers revealed the Vedas. What is eternal? It has nothing to do with history. If you read, if you read in Indian philosophy and so forth, it has nothing to do with history. The Hindu mind is not concerned about history at all. They never developed a sense of history. Why is it that we developed a sense of history? Why is it that scientific history developed in the West? Why is it that we are so interested in history? Because of the influence of Christianity. And it is in history, in a person, that we believe we have the knowledge of God. That's why we believe in Jesus Christ. He brings everything together. Everything makes sense when we look through him out onto the world. It's not just Heil's Kajikta or salvation history. It is also just history. To me, science makes better sense because I look at it through the person of Jesus Christ. Everything makes sense when you see through him. Jesus Christ has come into the flesh. We know God through the man Jesus. But he was also fully divine. Our creed says, I believe in Jesus Christ. Let me talk just a moment about Christ. Jesus really did not prefer the title of Christ. He didn't reject it, but he didn't prefer it. You'll notice that he calls himself the Son of Man. And um, uh, it's only a few occasions where you find the word Christ attributed to him. But it is interesting that after his resurrection, after his life was confirmed, the apostles and the church turned this title Christ, and it is a title, it meant anointed one, it was applied to every king in, in uh, the history of Israel, the anointed one, was not only applied to Jesus because they believed that he fulfilled everything including the entire history of Israel. But they applied Christ to him because he was that unique one who was promised in the Old Testament. And he summer, sum, is the summation of all things uh, as to the promise of the Old Testament. He fulfills everything. And when he rises from the dead, they begin to see him. Yes, he is clearly that one who came not only to seek and to save the lost, but he is indeed the one who will come again to judge the world. He is the Christ. The Christ. We confess Jesus in his history. We confess Jesus Christ in his crucifixion and resurrection and his coming again. I uh, have mentioned this before, but I've been struck by uh, reading 19th century Presbyterian theologians in the South. And they had a phrase that they used when they prayed. And uh, James Henley Thornwell in particular loved the phrase when he came to pray. He prayed in the name 
of the great head and king of the church. The great head and king of the church. Well, king is referring to Christ. He is the Lord's Christ. Very few were able to see that prior to his resurrection. But it was clearly affirmed after his resurrection. And everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord, implicit in that, is the great head and king of the church. We confess him as the Lord Jesus Christ. The one occasion that is very important that Jesus was confessed at Christ was at the Mount when they were standing there in northern Israel, not far from Damascus, at Caesarea Philippi, with magnificent Mount Hermon in the background, and a place where people had erected statues and things to the gods, monuments. And Jesus asked his disciples in that midst, in, in that context and in their midst, whom do men say that I am? Well, they begin to offer up some answers. That's obviously the case there. And all. But Jesus finally, no doubt, focuses in on Peter. He says, who do you say that I am? And he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Let me say that because God came in history in the person of Jesus Christ and because he has been raised from the dead, no person can escape that question. What do you say to it? Who is Christ? Who is he? Have you answered that and that's why you're here today? Who is he? My friend, the Buddha does not force that question upon you. Let me say that Muhammad does not focus or force that question upon you. Confucius does not force that question upon you. No, no, no. There's only one man who ever lived in history that forces that question upon you. Whom do people say that I am? This is a lively question today. It's alive. Some questions are not alive. They're not worth answering. We don't even raise them. But in every generation, decade after decade, century after century, we are forced to provide an answer to that question. Whom do people say that I am? Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked back at him and said, Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You must answer that question. And to answer it in the way Peter did is to change your life because you know God. You've embraced God as he really is in his son. I believe 
in Jesus Christ. That's why it's in the creed. Amen.